He's doing the announcements and he's doing the sound, so. Which means, you ready for the pitch? (laughs) We need your help. We need your help. Hey, listen, as uh, we desire to reach this community, you know, the reason the church exists is for the benefit, really, in many ways, of its non-members. You know, Jesus came and he didn't come to benefit himself. The cross wasn't for him. That was for us. And likewise, the church, if we're going to be the church, we are to be a cross-gospel-centered community, which means that we sacrifice our best interests for the best interest of others. That's the heart of God. You know, if you really want to know God, in some ways to know God is to say, God, would you do through me what you've done in me? What you have done for me through Jesus Christ, would you now do through me so that this community in Evergreen may know your heart? That as Jesus came to reveal the Father and Jesus is now in us, here's the privilege we have. As we have now the privilege to go into Evergreen and Bailey and Conifer and wherever you are, Georgetown, what's around us? Idaho Spring, Empire, Empire, keep going, Denver. And we have the opportunity then to reveal the Father through us, that God wants to make himself known through you. And that is a privilege and an opportunity. And so with that in mind, on September 30th, we're going to move and shift towards two services. Now, that's a big shift for us at Bergen Park. This church has been through a lot of changes over the last three to four years. You may not know it, but that little building, you see that little building across the street, the art center, it's beautiful. That used to be the church. And then three to four years ago, they got a vision that God wanted to put a church here on this property. They began walking the property and then got through just 80 people. They built this building. And they always wondered, right, how are we going to fill it? Will people come? But see, when the gospel's the center and each one of us recognize our role is not just to be for ourselves but for others, God begins to grow things. And God, through faith, begins to make himself known in this community. And so God is continuing to bless and to grow us. And so beginning on September 30th, we're going to have a service, there it is, at 9 and 11. Now, to do that, we need your help. Because, see, we are a family. The the church is a family. Sometimes we don't see it that way. We see the church as a place to receive maybe goods and services. But that's not what the church is. See, the church is a family. And each one of us has different roles. My role is to get up front and, and stand up here and lead and to speak and to speak through God's word. But each one of us has a role to play. And it's when each one of us is playing our role that the fullness of Christ shows up. Are you with me? Because, see, I'm not that good. I am not that good to be Jesus. But what God says is through us. And this is something you've got to grasp and just hold on to. It's through us. Releasing ourselves and God saying, hey, I'm too busy. i got too much going on. I'm too important to serve in the kids' area. No, it's not about that, because Jesus was too important, really, to come to us, but he did, because he loved us. And so likewise, as we have that spirit of service, of setting aside myself for others, that's where God really gets glorified. And so we need your help in that. As you head out on the left-hand side, you're going to see our I am in table. A lot of you have signed on that. If you haven't, we'd love for you to sign on that. What we'll do is we're going to be following up this week, 
and asking you, hey, how could you help us in the coming weeks to serve this community? Because that's what we're about. Amen? Are you with us? If you are, would you say, I'm in? Thank you, guys. Hey, we love you. Hey, would you grab a Bible in front of you? You'll see a Bible uh, down at the base of the chair. Uh, You'll find one there. You can also take out your phone. We're going to be in Romans chapter 1 today. And we've been walking through this series called Everyday Mission. And it's in some ways a, a vision series, a picture of who we are as the church and what God has called us to. And when we think of mission, we often think of missionaries and we think of a destination. Maybe a short-term mission trip. We go off to a location where people are having difficult times. We share the gospel. We share God's love. And we think of mission as a destination or mission as a place. No, but see, mission is something that God has to do in the heart because our God is a missionary God. You worship a God on mission. That God sent Jesus, and to be sent is to be on mission. And Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so send I, you know it, you. Jesus says, the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. So we are, as a family, we are also missionaries. We're ambassadors. That we go where God sends us, not for our benefit, but for the benefit of those who live there. And so in Romans chapter 1, what we're going to look at today is the importance of this everyday mission, but our everyday message. And see, that everyday message that needs to captivate us is not a political message. It's not something you just post up on social media. It's not a bumper sticker. It's called the gospel. And the gospel is not just what we believe to enter into a relationship with God. Listen, the gospel is the power that transforms life. And not just unto salvation, but unto every single day. That to live on an everyday mission, we have to have an everyday message that's captivated us. And so in Romans chapter 1, watch this, in verse 16, Paul's going to talk about the power of this message. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. And I love how he starts this. He says, listen, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is... Notice the power of God. Now, let me just stop for a minute. There's not many things in Scripture called the power of God. Now, we moved from Texas to Colorado, and when I think of the power of God, I think of a a Texas thunderstorm. Have you been in a Texas thunderstorm? It seemed like every year or two, or every month or two, actually, uh, during the year, we'd have these storms, and maybe you're in Target, you're Walmart, and they're rushing you into that meat locker. And even in that meat locker that's grounded into the foundation, you feel the walls start to shake. And, and I think that's powerful. I mean, that's majestic. Colorado, these mountains, it's majestic and powerful. And yet it's nothing compared to what he says is the gospel, which is the power of God. The power of God for salvation. And notice for everyone. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter who you are. Everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, meaning in the gospel, he says the righteousness of God is revealed. And it's revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. 
For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible qualities, attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, and the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. And yet for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But they came futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. Hey, let me pray. Father, I thank you that the power of the Christian life is not something we could possibly generate. Just as a storm is not something we create, the gospel isn't something we created. It's not from man, it's from God. It's a message that comes down to us, and we don't just simply have the intelligence to understand it, but rather, Father, through your power and the Spirit, you make us alive in Christ. You open our eyes, and once we're blind, now we see. Once we saw it as foolishness, now we see it as the wisdom of God. Lord, that is the power that opens the eyes and changes the heart. Lord, would you show us as we uh, look into this passage how we could keep that everyday mission in front of us by keeping the gospel central to our lives. Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I need this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I think a lot of Christians walk in shame. And I think we walk in shame just simply by saying, or simply pointing to the reality that we don't talk about Jesus. You know, we don't have a problem offending people on political issues. I mean, let's be honest, right? I'm on there. I see what people post. And we get passionate. We get angry about that kind of stuff. It gets this, this fervor going. We, we make sure people know where we stand on certain issues and certain legalities that are taking place, whether in our country or in our county. We're not ashamed of those things, but for some reason, I think Paul knew ahead of time that when it comes to the gospel, that even God's people will be ashamed. That for some reason will be ashamed to speak the name of Jesus. You know why? Because the name of Jesus is powerful. It's powerful. And notice it says in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it's powerful for salvation, to be rescued to be brought into a relationship with God. The centrality of the Christian life is the centrality of the gospel. And here's what's beautiful, and this is something I gotta be real honest with you. It, it took me a long time to discover. See, I used to think that the gospel is what you believed to enter into a relationship with God. And it is. It's the message that we hear. The gospel comes to us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We believe in him, and God makes us alive. His Holy Spirit comes in. And yet the gospel is not just what we believe in for salvation. See, the gospel is what we need every single day. That it's faith in the gospel that changes us, not just for the future, but today. I think about it. What is it that we struggle with most? I think for a lot of us, we, we look to something other than God because we think God isn't good. Hey, God, you're not good, so I need to go get what I need. And so maybe we look to a temptation. Uh, it could be an addiction. We reject God. We find our self-worth, 
not in God and what he's done for us, but in how much I have. Or maybe what I've done, or what I look like, or what I don't look like. We find our identity not in, to, not in what God has done in his power in our life. Rather, we put our, our value and our identity in all these trinkets, as it's said in Romans, created things. Instead of putting our identity in what God has done. And see, what we need every single day to live this life of not being ashamed is to remind ourselves of what God's done for us. You know, when Jesus came in Mark chapter 1, verse 14... He came bringing the good news of the gospel. See, when Jesus came, what he was doing was he's saying, good news, this is who God is. That Jesus came to reveal the Father. And, and through the life of Jesus, when you read the gospels, see, what you're really reading is not instructions about things we need to do. You're reading stories and experiences that reveal who God is. You see, if the Bible's about instructions, you've missed it. Because it's not about you. That's the best, listen, that's the best news you can receive. If the Bible's about you and what you need to do, this book will crush you. Because you cannot love like Jesus loved unless you first experience the love of Jesus. And you cannot forgive the way God has called us forgive unless you've experienced the forgiveness of Jesus. So in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, he says, I've come to reveal the good news of God, that Jesus came to show us the character of God. See, the gospel was of central importance to Jesus, but see, it's also of central importance to us. That in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you, if you want to turn there, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul describes the importance of the gospel. And he says in 1 Corinthians 15, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, and which you received, and now in which you stand. And then he says, if you guys can put that up, verse up, Bryce. Verse 3, for I delivered to you as of first importance. He's saying, remember when I brought the gospel to you. That gospel is of first importance, meaning it's what we should be fighting for. Did you hear me? It's what we should be fighting for. And the gospel, again, remember, Jesus didn't come for his own benefit. The church should be about the benefit of its non-believers. See, Jesus came to treat his family before we were family. Who does that? God. See, Jesus came and he took on himself the penalty we deserve. Who does that? God. See, that's good news. And Evergreen, that's not what they think about God. See, that's not what they think about God. And when Jesus came, the reason that we rejected Jesus is we said, that's not what I think about God. If you believe in, Christ, in the Christian God, if you've received that, the only reason you've received that is God has shown it to you. The good news has come in and it's, it's made you alive. It's called, ready, being born again. Do you realize how amazing that whole concept is? Uh, Christianity is not about getting a degree. It's, it's not about learning the rules. Otherwise, you'd use different language. What is born again? It means I was of one nature, now I'm of another nature. 
And I believe God because he's revealed himself. And now my heart has come alive. Ezekiel says, God's got to get a new heart in you. You know what? I think often what we think our problem is, is I just need a little information. Because that's how life works. I think that the American culture, when it comes to finances, hey, I just need a little information, right? Maybe an advisor. Somebody comes alongside, uh, give me some guidance on how to invest my money or my funds, my, my business, or maybe in relationship. We assume, hey, I basically got this, but I just, I just need a little information. And so we go to a counselor, and when we sit with that counselor, we, we hear what that counselor says, and they say, hey, that's good advice, good instruction, because that's really what I need. But when it comes to salvation, we don't need a little information. Realize we need a new heart. We were once dead in our transgression and sins. If you're dead, you cannot come alive. And Jesus Christ, through his death, has made us alive with God. Paul's saying, this is what we fight for. So what is the message that runs through your head every day? What's the storyline? You know, when, when you're angry, do you know why you're angry? Because there's a message at work in your mind. It could be a message of how my spouse failed, and so I'm angry. Or things hasn't, haven't worked out the right way. Or sometimes we're angry because we think we're smart and they're dumb. If they just figure it out, then they make my life better. You know what that is? That message is a power. You, you believe a false gospel. You believe a message. And what does that message do? It produces fear. It produces can I say fruit? And what comes out of what you believe is behaviors, attitudes, actions. Why is the gospel a power? Because it produces the fruit of the Spirit. Love. Does our world need love? Anybody need a little love today? Love, joy, peace, patience. I, I need some of that. I need a lot of that. Kindness. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are great qualities. You know what? You can't do that. It's the fruit of the Spirit, which means it's the fruit that comes out of belief in the gospel. Christianity is not about trying harder. No, Christianity is always about going back and looking at what God has done and believing and trusting more in who he is. You with me? So jump back again in 1 Corinthians 15. It is of first importance. What is Bergen Park Church going to be about? We're going to be about the gospel, the good news of what God has done through Jesus Christ. It is of first importance. So what is the content? He goes on to say in uh, verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15, what I also received, and here's the content, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, meaning it was prophesied from the Old Testament. He was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, and then the 12, and after that he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. What is the gospel about? It's about Jesus. Now remember, why did Jesus come? I've come that you may know the Father. Jesus came to reveal the Father. So in Jesus, we see God. So follow me on this. The, the simple idea of the gospel is the gospel is God. It's the good news of who God really is, not who I think he is. 
You see, if, if you went back to Romans 1, Paul says when sin came into the world, what happens is we believe lies. God is not loving. God is not gracious. God is not just. God is not merciful. God is not good. It's lies that destroy your life. Do you realize that? It's the lies we believe that destroy life. Often, if you talk to people that have been through horrific experiences, it's not just the experience that destroys them. What destroys them? It's the lies they believe based on what happened. I am unlovable. I can never find another job. I'm never going to be as successful as I was. It's not just the experience. It's the lies we believe. And you know what the heart does? Man, it loves to grab a hold on to lies. I don't know why. I find I do. I do. I, I hear so often in my own mind these accusations that come. I, I don't want to accuse myself. Why, why would I think negative thoughts? It's not going to work out. It's not going to be okay. You're, you're, God's not with you. He's abandoned you. See, what happens, the essence of sin is to reject God. What are those thoughts? It's a rejection of God. Because when I believe that, I'm ignoring who God has revealed himself to be. You guys with me on that? The gospel is the power of God. God is your father. And if he who did not spare his own son, Jason, come on now, do you believe that? No. Now, I believe it. Are you with me? I believe it in mind. But when I'm getting up on Sunday morning, he who did not spare his own son, well, God, I need a little help now. Are you going to show up? When we move to two services, are you going to be there? Are we going to reach this community? Is this church passionate about seeing God glorified, about sacrificing so that the gospel is what we, what we reflect? See, we believe lies. And we exchange the truth of who God is. What do we need? We need the gospel. The gospel is God. The gospel is, this is who God is. And how do we know that? Well, Jesus lived. He died. And what? He rose again on the third day. And right now, he's interceding for us, meaning we're not alone. And on the third day, I mean, third day, it's not the third day. He's going to come back. He is our hope. What is that? That's the gospel that we have been crucified with Christ. You know it? And I no longer live. It's a mystery. My life has been unified with Christ. I no longer live. But listen, Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I'm now going to live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's power. If I could just walk up here every day knowing that he loved me and gave himself for me, I could serve you with an infinite amount of sacrifice, love, and joy, because it's not coming from me. The gospel is of central importance. So how, how do we apply that? How do we live that out as the church? You know, Paul said it uh, this way in um, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Now notice that, while we were his enemies, who of us would die for an enemy? Yeah, not this one. You imagine that. That's not something we see on a human plane. And certainly that's not something we would project on God, right? That God would die for his enemies? 
See, that's why Jesus had to come, to show us that the, what, what we think about God isn't true. See, our God is a God that dies for those who are his enemies so that his enemies may become his children. Now, often we think we have enemies, and sometimes in our own community, because they don't believe the way I believe. They don't act the way I act. So I'm going to argue them into heaven. I'm going to make sure they know they're wrong so they see the goodness of my Jesus. Well, did God argue? Did he give you an argument? He gave you a person. Church, let's think about that. He gave us a person. He gave us an experience. And that person rewrote my heart, addressed all the lies, and, and opened my, wow, this is who God is. This is amazing. This is grace. That while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. That he, in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he knew no sin. That what Jesus deserved was the applause of heaven, but he got the cross. He who knew no sin became sin. Why? On my behalf. It doesn't make sense. I'm an enemy. I'm dead in my transgression and sin. I rebelled. God, I threw rocks at your window. No, but even though you were blind and dead in your transgressions and sin, he who knew no sin became sin on my behalf that I might know the righteousness of God. What is the righteousness of God? It means to be right with God. It means that when God sees you, here's the good news. Ready? And this is crazy. This is crazy. Scandalous. The grace of the gospel is that God sees you as if you did everything Jesus did. Uh, c- come on. No. That's too good. There's no way that God could see me. I mean, God, God knows what I'm struggling with. He saw where I was last night. Not me, but I'm just saying. <laughs> I, was, I was home. Yeah, uh, praying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what I was last night. If you did every, just think about it for a minute. If you did everything Jesus did, how would you walk into heaven? Right? It's like, woo, yay me. God, give me a high five. See all that stuff I did back there, walking on water? Yeah, it's me. No, no, what, what is he saying? When we walk into heaven, we should walk in with that same confidence. You know why? Because God's not looking at your record. He's looking at Jesus' record. That's crazy. He's not looking at my grade point average. He's looking at Jesus' grade point average. And he's saying, you're my son whom I love with you. I'm well pleased. Why? Because I've trusted in Jesus and his life has become my life. His death was my death. I'm dead to sins. Now I'm alive in Christ. You know what that is? That's truth that now pushes aside the lie. Every day I got to remind myself, Jason, this is who you are. This is who you are. And you're not up here to get something from anyone. You're up here because of what God's given you. And that's grace. See, the gospel is the power of God, not just to believe to get someplace in the future, but for today, to change us today so that this community would say, hey, at that church, I see God. In the lives of those people, my false ideas about God started to melt away because I've never seen anyone that generous. And they weren't generous because they were trying to get, you know that guy that's generous to you because he wants something from you? You know that guy. Yeah. 
Maybe you're that guy. If you don't know that guy, it could be you. But what if someone's just generous for your sake? Have you ever experienced that? I mean, that's radical. Somebody loves you just for you, and yet you were a jerk. And yet, and yet you killed his son. And yet God was continuously generous. Why? So that your heart might come alive to who he is, so that the lies may dissipate. That's the power of the gospel. Paul says it's of first importance. Now, hey, before we jump into how that works in our life, just for a minute, just this word gospel is incredibly important. And it's not something the Bible created. It's a word that comes out of a historical context, the Roman world. And in the Roman world, they had evangelists. And the evangelists would go out and they would go into the town square and they would herald the gospel. Now, the gospel at that time sounded like this. Caesar Augustus is born. Caesar Augustus would have been the new emperor. And when the new emperor was born, when the child was born to the emperor, they would go out and herald the gospel. They would say, good news, we have a new emperor that will one day take the throne and prosperity will reign over the land. You see, the gospel's not advice. It's not a ladder we climb. It's news that changes history. And so, for example, when a king had won a victory, they would send out the evangelists. Now, the evangelists didn't go out and try to convince. They weren't trying to argue. They were persuasive, but they would go out and say, hey, good news, the king is one. You can live at peace. Put down your swords. Be at rest. Good news, he's on the throne. When Jesus came, what did he do? God's on the throne. I've come to reveal the Father. He's come to announce good news, a history-changing event. God has shown up in human history. He's died for our sins. He has risen to demonstrate that he has power over sin, and he's now alive in us. Good news, believe the gospel. Meaning, there's nothing you can do. Do you realize that? In salvation, it's just weird. Christianity's nuts. There's no human philosophy, no religion that has this idea of salvation that you do nothing except kill Jesus and you get salvation through grace. That doesn't make sense. But here's why God does that. You ready? So you can't boast. Why has God... You can't boast. If you can't boast, then it's not about you, is it? Because if you're boasting, what are you boasting in? In some you. Look at what I did. Look how great I am. Look at what I accomplished. No, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, watch this. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Bryce, you throw that up. For by grace, meaning unmerited favor, a gift of God, you have been saved through faith, through trusting and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may... Isn't that strange? Boast? I would think it would say, hey, salvation is a gift of God so that you can get to heaven. That makes sense. Or you might get eternal life. But notice he says, no, it, the gospel talks more about how we enter it so that none of us can boast. So that none of us can look at ourselves and say, hey, that's why God loves me. I did it right. Now, realize, how much confidence 
really can you have in the love of God that you did nothing right and yet he loved you? Why are you afraid he wouldn't love you now? I mean, how crazy is that? If, if we believe that while we we're sinners, God demonstrated his love for us, if, if God was willing to sacrifice to that extent, why would I doubt his love today? That's ridiculous. I'm now his child. And if I did nothing to get into the relationship, why do I think if I do something, I may get kicked out? Because the uniqueness of the Christian faith is we are accepted through faith in Jesus, and that's what changes you. See, one of the challenges I think we have in Evergreen is, I think, whatever people think we're doing this morning here, it's, they don't want it. And that's okay. They don't want it because what they think is happening is you're getting pretty religious up in here. We're telling you a lot of stuff you shouldn't do. You know, I'm taking the joy out. I'm giving you a list of rules. You know, make sure you get that on the wall when you get home. Here's your verse to, to kind of follow this week. That they think that the, what, what religion is, uh, Christianity is just religion. It's getting some rules. You, now you got a book. I got to read a book? I got to follow the laws, the rules, the commands? That's not fun. That often people think when, when they hear the gospel, they hear, okay, you want to take non-religious people and make them religious. No. You see, religion fundamentally is about what you do for God. Jesus did not come to establish a religion. He came to transform a people that would then reflect God. And that reflection of God would be their religion. You guys all tracking me on that? That's pretty good. He, he came so that our religion would be our expression of what God's done for us, not what we do for God so he would love me. If you're trying to earn the love of God by what you do, you will be prideful, fearful, arrogant, anxious, because you never know if you've done enough. You ever had a relationship, maybe you've been married in the past with somebody like that, never know if I've done enough, always angry, never seems like I've done it right, you're walking, maybe it's a boss or some kind of relationship walking on eggshells. That, that's anxious, because you don't, how do I get into this, it could be a, a father, a, a, how do I know what it means to be loved? I, I need to know how to do it right. With God, all that's taken away. Because you didn't do it right, but he did, and now I'm trusting in him. Now I'm right. See, the difference between Christianity and religion is all about the motivation. Jesus said, my, my commands aren't burdensome. You know why? Because, see, the Christian life is lived out of gratitude. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Listen, this, this shocked my world. As a young man, I, I struggled quite a bit. A lot of addictions and, and really negative thoughts about myself, really afraid of people for the most part, which is crazy that I'm up here. Always living for the approval of others, really living for the approval of my father. And so I struggled a, a tremendous amount about who I am and, and what I could do in life. But then I realized that, that all those struggles, all those, those things that I was wrestling with, really what was happening was keep me from seeing God. Because every time I'd see God, I'd want to shut the door. No, that, that can't be who God is. And, and I'd go to trying harder. If I'm going to break this addiction, I've got to break it myself. I've got to overcome with my own self-will and self-control. But see, what God constantly did is he showed me that I, I couldn't do it. That I was looking to the approval of others to say, hey, I'm okay. 
And it wasn't, wasn't until I realized that, that through what Jesus Christ had done, my father, my heavenly father loved me and he had adopted me. And he was now wanting to use me to impact others. No longer did the approval of others drive my life. Rather, I want to live for the approval of God, which I already have. That God in Christ calls me his son. And that when I walk out the door, even though I may have struggled, I rejoice in who I am in Christ. See, what changes, what overcomes sin is not managing your bad behavior. Stop it. It's kind of managing bad behavior. Are you with me? That doesn't change you. It's gratitude. It's gratitude for what God's done. So that when you're in that moment of temptation or sin, say, say you just fell off that sin cliff, whatever that it looks like for you. The first thing you should do is do not go to shame, go to praise. When somebody first told me that, I said, you're nuts. And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, then I'd stop doing what I just did. Well, yeah. Why do you go to shame? Because you believe the lie. What do you need? You need the gospel. You need the gospel. That he was shamed on the cross so that I might be covered. So that in those moments where I feel afraid, I feel, I feel tempted, what I need to do in that moment is I need to worship. I say, Jesus, right now, listen, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. But I know that I am your child through what you have done. Thank you for changing me. Thank you for loving me. And even though I just blew it, I'm still accepted. And God, I can't admit that to my wife that I blew it, but I can to you. Would you now do through me what you just did in me? You see what's happening? That's marriage counseling. It's called worship. The problem with Christianity is that we get it backwards. That we think what we're doing is to earn God's love. Now, everything we are to do is an expression of the love that God's given us. Hey, jump down, if you will. I want to look just a couple passages that, that will solidify this for us. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. You can throw that up, guys. And you guys know this is my go-to verse. Husbands, love your wives. See, that's the command. That's the law. And you may think, hey, if I don't love my wife, God doesn't love me. And he says, no, notice, here's the gospel. Because see, what's the gospel? It's God. And who's God? Well, let me show you. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, which means to purify, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. This is amazing. Jesus is a better husband. You know why I fail? Because I think I need to be a better husband than Jesus. That, that I think my husbandry has to come out of my self-will. I gotta be a better husband. I gotta be a better husband. You know what this is saying? See, often we look at that command, I need to love my wife. But what do we miss? Look at, look at what he's saying. As Jesus loved you, who am I? I'm the church. And what did Jesus do for me? He gave himself for me. You, you mean I, I can't set aside this silly argument over where we're going to dinner, and yet Jesus set aside his life for me? 
See, if I believe that Jesus set aside his life for me, I'm going to willing to start sacrificing for someone else because I'm not losing anything. This is stupid. I'm not losing anything. I've already gained Christ. What, is that? what else is there to have? And he's sanctified me. He's purified me. He's cleansed me. You know why we don't love spousal love is because we don't believe in the gospel. Now, you believe in it. Jesus died. I know I'm going to heaven, but you're not living out of the power of it. Because, see, when I argue with my wife, what I need to go to is not to all the things she's done wrong, because that makes me God. I need to go to all the things Jesus has done to make me his. And then I say, God, help me. (laughs) Help me, God, in my weakness to allow your power that you just showed me you've done for me to work through me. See, how do we live a generous life? And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul said it this way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, Paul describes, he's talking to the Corinthian church, and he says, guys, I want you to give to the poor. Now, what's the motivation he's going to use? He's not going to put picture of starving children to use guilt, right? Uh, Just notice this. Notice the techniques that people use to get you to do good things. It's often selfishness. Does that make sense? If you're selfish to do good things, are you really doing a good thing? What's the gospel? It changes the motivation. We're no longer obedient for our sake because we've already got everything. We're obedient for God's sake. And so why should we give to the poor? Listen to how he describes 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For Jason, you know grace. He says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake, Jesus became poor so that in his poverty you may become rich. Why should I be generous? Because I know God. And who is God? God was rich in every way. Jesus did not need anything by coming to earth. I needed him because I was poor. And Jesus, by becoming poor, caused me to become rich because now I have the Father. Meaning I have all things. What motivates generosity? The gospel. Who's, what's the gospel? It's God. God's generous. And if I'm struggling with generosity, it's probably because I'm worshiping what I do not want to give up rather than worshiping God. Do you know what that is? It's called repentance. God, I'm too afraid to give up what I love the most. You know what's going to change the heart? You ready? But Jesus, you gave up You gave up the Father. You sacrificed. You gave up what you wanted the most, what you loved the most, so that I might know the Father. And if you did that for me, on a cosmic level, I can't give up a temporary value for you. You know what you need to pray? God, not help me to give more. Help me to experience your generosity more. The gospel's not just what we believe to go to heaven, though heaven's going to be grand. But it's only going to be grand, listen, if today the reason the gospel is grand is because it's about about God. Because when you get to heaven, you're going to be disappointed. And what God wants to do through us is to change the motivations of our hearts. That we're not to be obedient out of fear or pride, because perfect love overcomes fear. And if the reason why you're doing the right things is out of a selfish motivation, you need to meet God. Are you with me on that? 
What God has done is he has so revealed a love that is so overwhelming and so much greater than anything we could experience that it rewrites the motivation of the heart. And we say, God, if I want anything, I want you. And I want to know you more. And I want to be found in you, not having a righteousness, not building my own reputation, but just delighting in who you are. Church, what's going to change us is when each one of us get excited about Jesus. And what's going to change this community is when we stop saying, hey, i got to be perfect to change this community. And we just say, Jesus, what you've done in me, would you start to work through me? And would I stop relying on my power but your power? That's all it is. It's just admitting in faith, Father, we need you. Hey, let's pray that now. Father, I confess your mission, it, it, it causes us to risk. It says, Jason, die to yourself that you may come alive. And, I, and I'm honest, Father, in so many moments of life, I, I, I want to believe the lie. I want to hedge my bets. I want Jesus, but I don't want to be all in. And yet, Lord, you showed us in your life that you, you gave up your life for us. You gave, you sacrificed on the cross for us. You were abandoned from God. The wrath of God that should have fallen on me fell on Jesus. And what did I get? Lord, I don't understand why your love is so reckless as it chases after us. And yet, Lord, if that could captivate us, what a power we would have. Not in politics and and not in arguments, but in life, that you have come, Jesus, to give us life. And that life is abundant. Now may that life that is in us, Father, would you free us up so that you may work through us. Thank you for the light of the gospel. May it be the center upon which we reach this community. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as we respond.